everyone, and welcome back to the Face to Face podcast. My name is Ivy, and I'm one of your hosts. We've decided to create a new series called Uproot, focused on racial injustice in America, in an effort to use this platform to amplify Black voices. The definition of uproot in the context of plants and trees is to pull up and tear out by the roots. I hope the speakers you will hear in this series may expand your mind and plant a seed in you as we uproot the rotten fruit in America and begin to regrow and nourish fruits of justice and fruits of equality. In the near future, I plan to release multiple episodes focused on systemic racism and injustice. Each episode will feature someone new from the Pepperdine community. This is the space to listen and learn from the words, emotions, and reality of our Black brothers and sisters. There's so much beauty in listening to each other. When this episode is over, I invite you to go beyond this podcast and have conversations with your friends and family about topics discussed. In today's episode, my friend Ori Okadiji will be joining me. Ori and I met last year in a political ideologies class, and she is majoring in political science and minoring in communications. Ori grew up in Nigeria and moved to America a few years ago. Today, she'll be sharing her perspective and experience on race growing up in Nigeria and now living in America. Thank you for joining me, Ori. Thank you for having me. So to start things off, could you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what your childhood was like? You don't have to go into full depth, but just to set the stage. Um, Okay, so I grew up in Nigeria. I moved to the United States when I was 15 years old. So I've only been here for about five years. And um, like growing up there was very different from like coming here because I, when I was growing up, I never had like, you know, stuff like race in mind because everybody was the same race like even though we're diverse when it comes to tribes and ethnic groups like we're all the same race so I never grew up having that in mind um and like even though we talked about like things like slave trade and like you know like race but it was never something that affected me directly until I moved to the states when I was 15. What was it like when you first came to America and how did your perspective on race shift if it did um so when I first came to America like I didn't I wouldn't say that I like suffered from racism like on my first day like someone was like racist to me but I would say that my rhetoric when it came to race relations became very complex because um you know like there are other things that you factor into racism like before I came here I thought racism was you know, like shouting slurs or like being a neo-Nazi or something. But I think it's a, it's a it's a very intricate and very complicated system. You know, like when you bring in systematic racism and then you talk about microaggressions and things like that, like there are different levels when it comes to racism. So I think one of the things that changed when it came to my perspective about race was, you know, like, how I understood race as a whole. It wasn't just like, oh, well, he condemns um, the Confederate flag and neo-Nazi, so he's not racist. It became more like, yeah, he condemns that, but most people in society condemn that. But like, what I usually would look out for when I wanted to determine if someone was an ally or not would be like things like microaggressions and, you know, like anti-Blackness, their rhetoric, 
when it comes to talking about black culture and black people and things like that. Mm. Yeah, no, thanks for breaking that down. So where did you move first when you came to America? I moved to Georgia. Okay. Is that where you are now? Yes, that's where I am now. So like, you can imagine how it was. Like, I'm not going to condemn the entire state, but um, there are places in Georgia that aren't, that are still not very um, progressive when it comes to things like that or, you know, just, I'm not, I like I said, I'm not going to condemn the whole state, but there, there are many areas in Georgia that are not very progressive when it comes to things about race. So when I first came, I had so many like comments about my accent and things like that. And it really hindered the way I um, related to people so I would, instead of like going out and like being confident, I was very conscious of the way I spoke because every time I spoke, people would like draw attention to it and things like that. And then um, also getting used to seeing Confederate flags like hanging from houses and like being on people's cars and stuff like that was quite interesting. Like I remember the first time I saw it walking home, I was so scared. Oh my goodness, like what's going to happen to me? But the thing is, I realized that a lot of people down there don't even see it as racist it's more of like a southern pride type of thing so like the more I saw it the more I understood and then I kind of got desensitized to it even though I understand like what the flag stands for isn't very um isn't very good but I sadly got desensitized to it so now if I kind of see a confederate flag even though I'm in southern California like when I go to Pepperdine and um, I see a Confederate flag. I remember we had that whole thing with like someone having a Confederate flag in their room. I just kind of be like, oh, well, okay, because it doesn't really, I don't really see it as something that's um, rare because it's commonplace where I, where I came into, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, that does make sense, but that just really bothers me. And it bothers me that you've had to become desensitized to it. It always baffled me um, to see the Confederate flag still, because even though people say it signifies Southern pride, to me, there's more of a message behind it. And to me, that shouldn't be tolerated. And I feel like that kind of kind of goes along with a lot of other institutional systems here in America that aren't explicitly racist, but there are like racist ideals that they were built on and since haven't exactly changed, if that makes sense. Very interesting, I would say. Um, Obviously, I'm not going to tell people what to do, but it's not like the Confederate flag is not something I would ever support. Like it's not my preference. If you want to show Southern pride, I would encourage you to use something else to show that pride. But I would like, again, I would I would never tell you what to do. So don't try to tell me what to do. So like, if you're free to fly that flag, then I'm free to have, you know, to um want to say like, I don't want to have anything to do with you as a person, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I just, I'm, I grew up in Chicago, outside of Chicago, and now I live in Texas. And even that transition just down to the South is very prideful of the state. Um which is something that I've never grew up with. 
I don't want to be disrespectful, but I feel like um, it's okay to criticize something that you are proud of. It shows, um, you know, like love for that thing and wanting it to grow from the place that it's in. So for me, for example, with Nigeria, like we have so, so many problems that I would never... I would never ever want to be someone who goes like, oh, I'm just going to ignore this problem because, you know, I'm proud of my country. Like calling out a place that you're from, let's say Texas in this instance, um, doesn't necessarily show that you don't have pride or you can't call out this um, or you can't call out the history of this place or the things that they perpetrate um, without loving the place you're from. I think it actually shows that you have a deeper love for this place and you want it to grow past those things um, that it has in its history. Um, I feel like, you know, I just, I just feel like if you love something, then you should be able to criticize it and say, these are the things that we have to change if we want this place to reach and grow into its full potential. That's just my take on stuff like this, because I often hear people saying like, Oh, like you know we're proud of this place and then it kind of leads them to have this blind love and they don't really criticize the things that should be criticized or if you know you're um you're an, an immigrant and you come to america and you criticize something about the states and then someone is like well if you don't like it you could just go back to where you're from um and i know lots of immigrants who like love america because of you know the things that um, America has allowed them to achieve, but I, it's just like, if you love a place, you should absolutely be able to criticize it. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I feel like the rhetoric of saying like, well, you don't like this place, so you could just get out. is very, it's very black and white. It's very immature. It doesn't really help anybody. We should be encouraging growth and Growth can only come from uncomfortable places and uncomfortable discussions. And if we don't encourage that, then we'll probably just stay where we are and just leave all the problems without solving them, you know? Yeah, I think that's really beautifully said. Thank you for saying it like that. That was my observation on Texas as only living here for two to three years. But I do agree with your statement completely. That makes me wonder the people who are so proud and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like those people are typically the ones that aren't as quick to question the problems in our country and aren't as quick to address them. So to continue speaking on Nigeria, could you sort of give a run through about what's going on right there? I understand that there's some pretty big things happening that I was made aware of from you. But I haven't heard the media talking about any of these things, but would you want to sort of explain to people that are listening what's going on there? Um, right now we have like a ton of things going on. We have um but the two things that I want to concentrate on are um the way women and girls are being treated in Nigeria and the Kaduna massacre. So in um in Kaduna, which is a state in the north, we have um the activities of these violent like herdsmen you know people who like um graze cows and things so what they do is like they go around the states killing people for territory um and 
you know, we found like they have some connections with the terrorist organization called Boko Haram. So that's happening right now. No one is really talking about it, unfortunately. And then for the other situation, which is how women are being treated, Nigeria has a really bad case when it comes to um, impunity with rape and pedophilia. So in northern Nigeria, pedophilia is very common. We have um, women who are forced into, not even women, girls, I'm going to say girls, children who are forced into marriages at such a young age to men who are old enough to be their fathers. Um, And this is causing so many health issues for them because when you're um, a 13-year-old girl who's like, um, who's married and then having sexual intercourse with a grown man and then you get pregnant and then you try to give birth, there's definitely going to be health complications that come from that. And then um, outside of that, we also have, like I mentioned before, rape and impunity. There's this huge epidemic of sexual assaults and harassment in Nigeria that no one is really paying attention to. So like in the, like in the last week, like, there were like high profile cases of four women being raped and killed. Um, And the thing is that nothing really happens to the men who do things like this. Like nothing happens. They don't go to jail. Nothing happens. And the worst thing is police officers who are supposed to be the ones protecting us also involved with raping women who they have um, in custody or raping prostitutes just because they say, oh, you know, they're prostitutes and they don't deserve respect. So we have these two things going on, which doesn't even sum up half of the problems we have in the country. But I would say those are the high profile cases right now. And it's really sad because no one is paying attention to it. I feel like for developing countries, especially African countries, we just like the international like the global and international community or whatever, we just kind of get placed on the back burner. Um, When it comes to social issues and things like this, Western countries are always on the forefront. You know, when things happen, you see hashtags like pray for France, pray for Italy, you know, pray for this. And then, you know, when something happens in other countries, it's all quiet. Nobody knows about it. The media doesn't talk about it. It's almost like nobody cares. It's really, really sad. And the worst thing even that I would say is that even we as people in those countries, we care about we care more about things that are happening in the West and what is happening with our own countries. Like, you know, people who have access to these types of things, you know, like um, the internet and like go on the internet and they see all the news and everything that's happening. Um, Of course, I would never, I would never tell you not to protest injustice all over the country, but I just think we have misplaced priorities. You know, if governments of other countries are treating your citizens like trash and you don't say anything, but then you condemn something that's happening in the West. I feel like it's almost because it's attached to this, you know, Western, because it's attached to the West or because it's attached to this Eurocentric um, thing, then they almost see it as a worthwhile cause to pursue, which I find to be very disturbing, to be honest. So that's kind of like a rundown of what I think is happening. Thanks for explaining that. 
Why do you think that is that African countries don't get attention? And how do you think that can change? Okay, so I just think people don't really care about um, issues that we have in Africa unless they can benefit something from it. Um, I also want to talk about how, like, Western governments are actually complacent when it comes to corruption of African leaders. And I felt, and I feel like if it's something that they care about so much, then they wouldn't be, um, they wouldn't be letting this happen. So I can give an example. There was a case of a president. I can't remember the specific country. Um, but what happened was this country is extremely rich in oil. And so this country would sell oil to Western countries and the money that he gets, and he would have them pay the money that they get from the oil into his private account instead of like into the national account. And, you know, like countries, they knew this, but they would still buy from him. They would still enable his activities. So he was hoarding all this wealth that he was supposed to, you know, like put out and use to develop his country. And he had like huge, huge mansions, way too many cars for one person. Um and he was just keeping all this wealth. And we see, you know, Western leaders being complacent, like allowing this to happen. Of course, I'm not going to remove the blame from him. He's responsible for his own country. But if, if you know, you preach and you scream democracy and anti-corruption from the rooftops, then it shouldn't be something that you allow to happen in your own backyard, you know? Um, so I think what I really think is like, unless they have something to gain, they don't really care about what's going on there. Um, and to fix it, you know, I don't know when this is going to happen, but it has to happen at some point. It has to happen. African leaders, you know, we need to stand up. We need to we need to understand that no one is going to fight for us. We only have ourselves. We need to um we need leaders basically who care about the people and who are going to come and understand that the Western way is not the only way, you know, thinking for yourself and understanding that if you want your nation to succeed, you have to have political and social systems that are ingrained in the culture that don't like go against the grain of the culture, but rather um, flow with it, what the people are used to and things like that. Um, we have to shun corruption. I think for ourselves, once we finally, once we finally start to show that we, you know, we won't, we won't allow people to take advantage of us anymore, then maybe it will change. I don't know. I don't know if, if that would do anything, but I definitely think we also play a hand in how the world views us. Like we have to, we have to take responsibility for some of our actions and we have to, you know, like do things that would, I don't know. I don't know how to word this, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Like African, African nations, we have to rise up by ourselves. We have to realize no one is coming to save us. Like we can have 1000 mission trips to African countries, but that's not, that's not going to do anything. There are studies that actually show that that makes things worse. Like, we, no one is coming to save us and we have to rise up and we have to do something for ourselves. I think that's the only way. Wow, there's so many questions I want to ask you and so many different directions we could go in. I 
I hear what you're saying and I've never heard it said that way. So thank you for expressing that from your perspective. Were you aware of all of the police brutality and murders in the black communities in America that were going on while you were growing up? Was that something that like people in your communities were aware of or did the extent of um, police brutality become more clear when you moved to America? Does that make sense? I actually didn't know anything about police brutality in America until I got here. Like I had no idea any of this like was happening. Um, There's actually like, because obviously from context clues from what I've said before, Nigerian police are obviously not the best force. Like we don't like them either. Um, But, (laughs) but there's been this running joke you know, because of that Western thing that I told you about, like, um, you know, like police officers in the West or abroad would, you know, would obviously be better than Nigerian police officers. Like that, that was a thing that I would like, that I was surrounded with, like, oh, they would obviously be better. And it's not necessarily because of anything that, you know, we knew, like, as it came to evidence or we knowing how the country is, but just because it was attached to a Western country, um, it was a thing that, you know, people assumed was happening. So I didn't know about police brutality. I didn't expect it to be this bad because growing up all the time, I had thought, you know, like America was this, amazing perfect country with sunshine and rainbows and everything like that but I was was um so I didn't I didn't I didn't think this was going to be a thing until I got here I didn't know that it existed I mean like I'm not new to the topic of police brutality like we have cases like that in Nigeria pretty regularly um so like coming here and you know like seeing it again even though I expected to be I expected it to be better was a little bit surprising because my whole life I had expected that America would be better in every single way you know switching gears back to um what's happening right now in America with the Black Lives Matter movement it's been going on since 2013 but has just started to get more traction this week after the murder of George Floyd I'm curious from your specific experience and your um, your ties to Nigeria and growing up there and then being a student here in America, especially this week, how has it been balancing what's been going on here, but also knowing what's going on back home in Nigeria with two pretty big things happening? Oh, it's so much. Um I would say like I'm just taking breaks from social media when I need to and trying to do my part, you know, like trying to bring awareness to it. So and also I'm trying my best not to give one movement all of my time because like because I'm here in America, like it's very easy for me to do that because like when I turn on the TV, the news, that's all we're talking about. So I'm trying my best not to allow this to consume all my time because Nigeria is my is also my home. I would say probably even more so my home because that's where I'm from and that's where I grew up. And um I would never want to put my country on the back burner. So 
I'm trying to do that, like trying to bring awareness to both cases equally. And I'm also not like setting myself on fire to keep other people warm. If that, that's an expression that I learned. Like I, if I'm, if I start to get like tired or exhausted, I just step back, get off social media, you know, like do some self-care, watch some of my TV shows, you know, and just like look at things that make me happy because that's so important to do. Like you can't, you can't do this like day in, day out, every single minute, every single second, like you will get exhausted and not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally because you're spending your time on um, all this stuff that's not necessarily like happy, you know, like the killing of black people and like the raping of women, both of which are like, you know, like being black and being a woman is very tied into my identity. So it's not, it's not something that you want to consume like day in, day out. So I just want to say, um, I always, always remember to take a break and talk to my friends and my family and do things that make me happy. That's good. That's good to hear that you're taking time for yourself because yeah, I agree. I feel like this isn't something that everyone can do 24 seven, but if you can try to refuel yourself as often as possible, then you'll be the most effective. Yeah, you definitely would be more effective in um, trying to bring awareness if you're not just exhausted. Because it's like trying to study on two hours of sleep. That doesn't really, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. It's very inefficient, very ineffective. Like you have to take some time off for yourself. I'm curious what your thoughts were um, with everything blowing up in the past two weeks after the murder of George Floyd with everything on social media just really becoming super amplified. What is your perspective on that, knowing that this isn't new? Um, so I have very, very mixed feelings when it comes to this because um this is gaining so much traction and I'm happy about that. I'm happy that this is gaining traction. People are seeing it, you know, we're bringing awareness. Like definitely this is going to be um, an event that is going to be important. Like when we look back at history, but then again, like you see people who in 2014 or, you know, 15, like when Black Lives Matter was still a very early movement would have complained about it, spoken out about it, you know, and then all of a sudden people are like posting Black Lives Matter. And I understand that people can grow, but growth at whose expense you know like all the things that were done before those were not victimless crimes you know like the um um the company who fired Colin Kaepernick for taking a knee for the Black Lives Matter movement like those were all of that were those were not victimless crimes so if the if those were victimless crimes then I could be like oh yeah maybe they've grown but then that company that fired Mr. Kaepernick um, they spoke up about it and they posted Black Lives Matter and like showing solidarity with the um, black community. But then they didn't rehire him like they didn't. They haven't taken any steps to show like, oh, we've grown from this. We were wrong. So like that's another thing that I'm like worried about because this movement is gaining so much traction. There's people who are um, who are like showing solidarity 
just to save face, just kind of being performative in a way because nobody wants to be on the wrong side of history. Nobody wants to be that person that didn't support a movement that brought about major change in the future. Um, so I just, I'm having an issue with truly understanding who's being sincere and who's not being sincere. But at the same time, I'm very happy that, um, this movement has caught so much fire because like people are starting to understand, you know, why we protest and what the Black Lives Movement, um, the Black Lives Matter movement has been all about. So like I have that being happy that it's catching fire, but I also have my reservations about many people who have, you know, shown rhetoric against the movement in the past, but who are now posting. And then not just people who have like shown like negative rhetoric against the movement in general, but people who have been racist in general. So um, like there's this company called... um, I think it's Estee Lauder or Lancome. I don't know which one it is, but um, they posted the Black Lives Movement, like the Black Lives Matter movement as well. But a few years ago, they fired a black woman from because she spoke up about racism and, you know, anti-blackness and things like that. And it's like, that's not just being anti-BLM, that's being racist because you have chosen the side. If someone spoke out against racism and you decide to fire them, you have chosen the side of racist. So it's not just people who like don't like the movement, people who are like who have done things that are outright racist, but now like to say face, they're posting about it. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um but I just, like I've said before, like I like how the movement is gaining so much traction and catching fire and a lot of people are following it and they're finally starting to understand. But then I don't know who's being sincere and who's not being sincere. And I don't know who has actually grown from, you know, all this. Like, are they actually learning and are they actually taking active steps to make sure they don't fall back into their old ways or are they just doing it to save face? Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. It really does. Something that I heard recently, or I've noticed in the past, it takes, I guess we know today, since it's taken this long for white people to get on board, that it takes something for people to get on board. But I heard the other day, someone said, when you're a nurse or when you're a doctor, you ethically have to believe the patient when they say, my pain is a 9 out of 10, or my pain is a 10 out of 10. You ethically have to treat them like that's true. So I, and I think the same, the same does go for people that are Black who have been claiming they've been oppressed and they've been, they've been mistreated over the years, for hundreds of years. And I don't think it's anyone else's place to be like, oh, I don't think so. I don't know if that, I don't know. I don't really have the facts to back that up. If like one person comes to you and says that they are, hurting and says that they aren't being treated equally that's more than enough reason to stand with them and try to fight for this cause if that makes sense there's that um the analogy with the house that's on fire when you think about it all these different ways it's a no-brainer but for some reason white people or just other people maybe that aren't black have trouble getting on board 100 percent 
Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, if it's something that that you haven't like that you can't experience personally, so like white people would or non-black people would never have black skin, never ever. So it's impossible for you to experience it how we do. If I think if it's something that you can't experience, then you should. And everyone is saying it, you know, like. It's not like it's just one black person that's saying that's saying, oh, there's still racism in America. Like a lot, like a good number, I would say, like most people are saying that. If so many people are saying that, I think it would be obtuse to kind of um, invalidate those experiences because you haven't you haven't experienced it for yourself. And the reason why you haven't experienced it for yourself is because you're not black. And you would never experience it. So you should take, like, you should take our word for it because we experience it. It's not something that, you know, non-Black people could ever experience. Um, it's something that we live with, you know, because it's, like, attached to our identity. You can't do anything about the race you're born into, the color of your skin. So I think what you're saying is, like, is true. I would agree with that. Like, just take our word for it when we say this is what's happening just take our word for it